Thank you for visiting Crosslane Community Church. We're located in Terre Haute, Indiana. For more information and additional sermons, please visit our website at clcchurch.com. Let's listen to one of our Sunday morning messages. We are going to start a new series today called uh, Seeing God as a Perfect Father. Um, Ruth was wonderful, had a great time. I learned so much uh, teaching on Ruth. That was great. Uh, Today we're going to start to think about Father's Day, and typically the poor dads, you know, we do all this great stuff for moms, and we we tell them how great they are and love on them and give them flowers, and then it comes Father's Day, and usually the preacher, and myself included, beats them up and sends them out and tells them how they got to be a better dad, and you know, you got to muscle up and be strong, and and, uh, we're not going to do that this time. We're going to, instead, we're going to kind of turn our attention to our perfect heavenly father and, and try and figure out how we can relate to God as our perfect heavenly father. And we're going to kind of use that as our Father's Day messages. There are three of them and they start today. I want to start today by talking to you about a guy named A.W. Tozer. Tozer really is known, I think, for, for his writings on prayer. He, he died about 40, a little over 40 years ago. Um, but the, he had a profound impact on the church and, and, uh, uh, his ideas and his writings have, you've no doubt, if you're a reader at all, you've read the writings of A.W. Tozer, either quoted or, or actually read books by him. But he, he made a statement, and, and this is where we're going to start today, because I really do believe this is the truth. But he said, he said, what the most important thing about you, the most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. The most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. At some point in everybody's life, they think about God. Everybody at some point starts to wonder who God is, what he's like, what's he, what's he about, why am I here, why did God put me here? Uh, at some point in life, you're going to ask those questions. Maybe some of you ask those questions all through life. God is not afraid of any of those questions, and I encourage you to ask them. But I want to start with this passage of Scripture, Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. For by him... All things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him. Now you read that and you say, Brett, I can see that. I can see that all things are created. He made the trees and birds and water and land and, you know, all this, all this water that we've seen. God made that. And, and you know, I, I understand that. That's cool. I get that. But then we come to this little conjunction in this verse, the word and. All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities. All things were created by him and for him. In other words, God didn't just create for the purpose of creating. He he didn't create for the purpose of creation He didn't create for the purpose of proliferation. It wasn't that he just decided to create because it was fun, you know, like a bunch of tinker toys and, and, you know, you give your kids some toys when they're little and you hope that entertains them. And that's not what God was up to. He made us in his, his image. He made us responders to him. He created us. Paul tells us that God's desire is that we would seek after him and find him. So that if there's some point of part of you this morning that is wondering, you know, where is God or what is God like? You need to understand that God put that in you. That thing where you're asking questions, what, what, 
you know, is God or who is God or how does he work, that's a God thing. Paul wrote that we would seek after him and find him so that we, we, we were not made to live alone. You need to understand that you were created to have a relationship with God. I used to uh, be a youth pastor, and one of the things I taught the kids in youth group all the time was the main thing I taught them. It was the one thing. I didn't ask them any questions, but if I ever asked the kids in our youth group anything in public in front of other adults, this one thing I wanted them to be able to tell me, and it was this. Why are you here? What's your purpose and meaning in life? You know, that's the big question everybody wants to know. What's the purpose and meaning of life? If you've never heard that, I'm going to tell you what your purpose and meaning in life is. Are you ready? Here's what your purpose and meaning in life is. You were created to have fellowship with God and bring glory and honor to his name. That's why you were made. I know you may think that you were created, especially after yesterday, to uh, wet vac your basement. You know, that's probably what you, why am I doing this? Was I created for this? You were made to have fellowship with God and bring glory and honor to his name. Inside you and me today is a responding mechanism. And you and I were made to have a relationship with God. That's how we are supposed to respond. Now here's where Tozer comes in. If Tozer is right, and I believe that he is, that, how the, the, that the most important thing about me is what I think about when I think about God, then how I respond to God is going to be dictated by what I think about God. And if I think the wrong thing about God, then I will respond to God in the wrong way. That's the, if you want to use the word fear, that's the worry this morning. That's the thing that we're trying to overcome or get past. That's the thing we want to, that's the thing we're trying to question this morning. Because if I think the wrong thing about God, then I'm going to respond to God in a way and as something that he is not. What you learned about God, you may have learned through your family. You may have grown up in church. You may have grown up with your dad taking you to church, and you know, you're one of those kids that your, your mom and dad were at church all the time, and if the preacher was going to wash the windows on Wednesday, you showed up to watch him do it. You know, I mean, you went to church. You didn't miss, and you learned about God from your mom and dad, and this is how they said God was, and this is how God is, and you don't question that, and that's how you relate to God. And you've grown up your whole life knowing how God is because that's how mom and dad said it was. Maybe it was some juncture in your life where things didn't go all that well for you. You expected God to show up in some magnificent way and do some wonderful thing. And, and, you know, and when he didn't, you got disappointed and you got ticked off. And, and you've never really let God live it down. And the way you relate to God is, is in some way that he didn't do for you what you needed or he did do something you didn't want him to do. And so your whole way of relating to God is, is that. Maybe it was an education. Maybe you went off to school and, and I, I used to, when I was the youth pastor, I, I did something called rock group with the, the high school kids and it was designed to be a, I wanted it to be like a college class. I wanted it to be, you know, kind of hard. I wanted it to have, you know, I wanted you to have to work some. I wanted you to have to, I gave them an adult book to read. I brought them into my office. We spent an hour and a half. We had adult conversations. We, I asked them adult questions. I expected them to have their homework done, have their reading done, and they were supposed to come in and be ready to talk to me about what they'd read. It was a pretty big deal. 
And the whole purpose behind that, and, and I'll just tell you, Ryan still does that. It was a voluntary thing, and not all the kids wanted to do it. But the ones who, who do volunteer for that, they grew and they learned and they got stronger in their faith. But the whole point behind it for me was I was trying to prepare these high school kids for the day that they would graduate, just like the ones you just saw on the stage. What's going to happen to these college kids, you, high school kids getting ready to go into college that you just saw, is somewhere along about their late freshman year or early sophomore semester, first semester or second semester, they're going to run across a philosophy professor. And he's going to have a cardigan sweater and a really cool-looking pair of glasses, and he might smoke a pipe, who knows. But he's going to be really smart. And he's going to stand up and he's going to question everything that they believe about God. And he's going to question God's existence and he's going to plant seeds that makes these kids think that God really isn't there and doesn't exist. And so Rock Group for me was kind of my way to kind of head that off at the pass. But you may have gone off to college and you may have run across that, that uh, philosophy professor your sophomore year in school and he stood up and because he had PhD after his name and you don't have anything but D minuses and D pluses after yours that, that you said, well, he's smarter than I am and he says there's no God and so there must be no God. And so you've related to God maybe wondering, I don't even know if you're really out there, God. I mean, my professor who's pretty smart said that you're not out there so... I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to believe. And I know people who go to church that don't necessarily believe in God. They go because their wife wants them to go, or they go because their family goes, and it's just what you're supposed to do. Or maybe they go because they want to, you know, if there is one, you know, it can't hurt to show up once in a while. All of a sudden, when... Whatever it is happened, happened, it changed the way we relate to God, whether it's your education or your family or your professor, uh, you know, any number of things can come to bear on what you believe about God and how you relate to him. Everyone here this morning has a picture of God in their mind. It would be interesting to hand you a a, a sketch pad, and let's pretend that you're all just wonderful, outstanding artists. And I was going to say, okay, take some time and draw for me your picture of God. Uh, every, everybody in here would have a picture that they would draw of what they think God is like or looks like. If I handed you a three-by-five card and a little pencil and said, write a description of what you think God is like, you're probably going to have some description that you're going to write down, this is what I think God is like. Now, there are all kinds of them out there, and I, I venture to say that I could parade you up here across the stage and let each one of you have some time behind a microphone explaining what your vision of God is, and we'd have as many people in the room, we'd have that many visions of God. But I'm going to kind of lump this down and, and kind of break this down into a couple of, <clears throat> um, how would I put this, just um, categories, okay, of, of what different kind of gods that we see. One of them, you may, your, your big picture of God may be nameless, faceless God. You're not even sure it's a he or a she. It might be an it. But, it, but whatever it is, it's not knowable. It's not something that really, it moves and it does its thing and it really doesn't care a whole lot about you or anything else. It, it only serves itself and it's going to have things done its way. And, and that may be your vision of God, nameless, faceless God. It's distant. You know it's out there, but it's not knowable. 
Or maybe you, you, your picture of God is OnStar God. How many of you have OnStar in your car? OnStar is cool. Because I can press a button and they know me. Yes, Mr. Wilson, how may I help you today? Well, I'm lost. Can you tell me where I am? Yeah, you're at the corner of such and such and such. Really? How do you know that? I mean, if I want to, they can tell me where the local Taco Bell is, which pretty much is right around the corner from wherever you are, there is a Taco Bell. (laughs) Pretty much right around the corner. OnStar is an amazing thing. They know who you are. They know where you are. It's almost like they know what you're thinking. And, and you may have a picture of God that is, is kind of the way, you know, you, you treat OnStar. Because you, OnStar, you can, you can hit the button and you can say, um, first of all, OnStar comes on and they, they're all about you. They want to serve you and help you. And so, Mr. Wilson, what can I do for you today? Well, I'm wondering if you can tell me where the, the you know, the, the steakhouse is. Or I'm wondering if you can, I'm lost, can you get me to this place? Or I want, I'm wondering, um, what's, the, what's my tire pressure? I mean, OnStar can tell you that. What's, what's the oil life in my car? It can tell you that. And, and sometimes we relate to God that way. We talk to God like he's the OnStar person, like we expect him to come on and take our order. Yes, Mr. Wilson, what can I do for you today? Well, if you could move this person away because they're really bugging me, and if you could help my team to win, and if you could get the water out of my basement, that'd be great. These are the things that I need you to do. And so we kind of relate to God as OnStar God. Or you might have a vision of God as Grandpa God. Any of you have that? The flowing white hair, you know, he's been around forever. He's working on a couple of miracle ears. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's Grandpa God. He's gentle. He's not decrepit, but he's not moving all that fast. He's nice and he's kind. He, he never raises his voice. He gives candy to the kids. You know, he's got a little wisdom. He's calm and still. You go see him on holidays. You talk to him different than you talk to other people because you think maybe he he doesn't understand it the way you're saying it. But he's always there if you need him. Or maybe you see God as scorekeeper God. A lot of people see God this way, scorekeeper God. It's about credits and debits. It's either good or bad, right or wrong, and he's keeping score on the whole thing. And your whole goal is to be putting credits in the right column with God. That's really what your life is about. You're trying to figure out how to accumulate enough credits so that when it comes go time to go into heaven, you've got enough to get there and get in, and that's what it's all about for you. And you see God that way, and, and, and you know, in fact, some of you may be here this morning because you put in some debits last night, and you're thinking, I probably ought to go to church this morning uh, just to, just to, to be on the safe side. And, and, you know, your prayers might sound something like this. God, do you see me? I'm here. I'm at church. Do you see? Haven't been in two weeks, but I'm here today. I want to make sure you see that because it's important to me that you know that I'm here because I need the credits. And you're here this morning, and you even brought your Bible. How many of you have ever been to a church? And they don't do this much anymore. But I've been in a church where they had a card that when you went and you filled out the attendance card, you could flip it over on the back, and it had all the things that you could check off, that you brought your Bible, that you went to Sunday school, that you did visitation. You think I'm kidding. They used to do that. that whoever came up with that, they're operating off of a scorekeeper God kind of thing. 
There are certain places that you can go that they call it church. I wouldn't call it church, but there are places in Terre Haute you could go, that's how they do church. And God's up in heaven like some Jerry Lewis telethon, you know, and he's got a tote board. And as long as you do all the right things, you get credits for it. And over here, they're taking things away and you're just hoping you can build up enough and it's going to be good for you. Or maybe your picture of God is doomsday God. Closely related to scorekeeper God. It's basically hellfire and damnation. God doesn't have white hair in your eyes. God's got hair on fire. You know, he's, he's out to get you. You basically are convinced if you are in the doomsday God that, that he, he doesn't, you know, he's kind of like Mikey. He doesn't like anything. And, and, you know, what he really wants is to make sure that the numbers in heaven stay low. And so he's looking for ways to keep people out. And if he catches you doing something the wrong way, doomsday God is going to smack you down. I think we, sometimes we look at doomsday God and we think that he's walking around heaven with a great big old red marker to put on your piece of paper that says, F, you failed, you don't get in. And I'm going to keep attendance low in heaven because I'm just looking for ways to keep people out of heaven. Some people, that's their vision of God. He's Buford T. Pusser, walking tall, got a big stick, going to smack you in the head when you do something wrong. Doomsday God. Or you might have a picture of God as stained glass God, that he lives here, and you come here on Sundays to see him. I'll tell you what my preacher used to tell me growing up. He used to tell our I've heard him say this many times to our congregation growing up. He would say, listen, when we leave here at the end of the day, God leaves with us. He doesn't stick around. It's not like God hangs around all week waiting on somebody to show up to come talk to him and see him. You know, and when he gets bored, he walks over and plays the drums. You know, just waiting on somebody. In fact, he might be looking at the drums saying, how'd they get in here? I don't remember giving permission for those to come in. You know, some people, that's their version of God, is that God wouldn't even, you know, you got to get his permission for that. Yeah, drums, we can't do that. This is God's house. You've ever had somebody say, tell their kids, don't run in God's house. Don't raise your voice in God's house. Then you, in some way, you have a vision of God that says that he's stained glass God. He lives here. And you come here to see him. Maybe you have a picture of God as average Joe God. He's your buddy. He's your best friend. He's, he's a great guy. He's, you know, put my arm around him. He's the guy we hang out with. Also known as the man upstairs. He, you know, likes baseball and he, I hope he likes baseball because a lot of baseball managers have referred to him as the man upstairs. Maybe your vision of God is eBay God. You're saying, eBay God, what's that? Well, you can get anything on eBay. You can get rid of anything on eBay. I mean, if you've got stuff and you think, well, I don't want that anymore, put it on eBay. Somebody will buy it. I mean, heck, if they'll buy toast with the picture of Jesus on it, they'll buy pretty much anything. And so we treat God like eBay God. Tell him what you want. He'll find it and get it. And God, I know this is kind of a strange request, and this one's going to be hard for you to find, but after all, you're God. And if eBay can do it, surely you can do it. Would, I need this. Would you please get this for me? Maybe your version of God is me, God. I make the decisions. I'm self-sufficient. I'm self-reliant. I'm self-made. I'm self-motivated, self-contained. I'm the man. I'm the one in charge. And, 
and you, your vision of God looks an awful lot like you in the mirror because you are your own God. Or maybe your vision of God is no God God. I don't believe in God. There is no God. Maybe your vision of God is PC God. That's a prevalent one today, PC God. You have to be careful with him because you, you, you get just enough of him to keep everything comfortable and everybody comfortable, but, but you know he cannot be offensive. He needs to be convertible. He needs to be portable because you might want to bring him out and might want to put him away at certain times. I mean, he's not for every occasion, and there are certain times that you definitely don't want him to be seen. There's definitely times that you do want him to be seen because it helps your reputation or it looks good on you know something you're trying to do. I'm, you know, I'm trying to get into this club or organization. It looks good that I go to church. I don't know. But, but PC God is a real portable, convertible kind of morphing kind of God that we make up to use for our own convenience. He's kind of like the, the salad bar, you know, that you go down and you kind of pick and choose the things you want. If Tozer's right, because you ask yourself the question as I go through all those, which one of those views of God is the right view of God? Because we could, you know, again, we could make up more. I'm sure we could come up with more than the ones that I just gave you. But if Tozer's right, if the most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God, and everybody thinks something about God, then how do you know? That's what this series is about. Here's the good news this morning. God wants you to know him. God wants you to know what he's like, and he wants you to have a way to relate to him. And through history and through time and space, God has been revealing himself to us. Because he knew if he didn't, we would have a jumbled up mess of an idea of who he is. And we would spend our whole life responding to God in a way that he never intended for us to respond to him. We'd say, I think he's a scorekeeper God, and so I would spend my whole life trying to accumulate the right things. I think he's stained glass God, and we would spend our whole life thinking that when we're at home, he's not with us. That, that I think he's a, a doomsday God, and he's out to get me. Let me tell you, if he was out to get you, he'd already gotten you. That he's distant and faceless, or that he doesn't care. And God says, I don't want you to spend your whole life wondering who I am. I'm going to reveal to you who I am. I'm going to tell you exactly who I am. And he's been doing that since the day we were born. Romans 1 tells us that there is a God, that he's beautiful, that he's creative. And you say, well, I know God's powerful and creative and imaginative and intricate and detail-oriented, and I know God's huge. But in Jesus Christ, we come to see God more clearly than ever. I want to read a passage of Scripture to you. It's Hebrews 1. In the past... God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. That was the prophets. That was the pillar of fire at night and the cloud by day that led the Israelites. That, that's you know, that's um, the, the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. God says, you need to know who I am. And so he says, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So God is speaking to us, revealing himself to us through Jesus Christ, his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. So the son is the radiance 
of God's glory. In other words, he's a walking, talking, breathing picture of God recorded in the pages of this book for us so that you would know what a glorious God looks like. And then he goes on to say, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Does that mean that God is 5'10", 185 pounds, brown hair, looks a little Aramaic, kind of you know foreign? Is, it, is, that, is that what it means? No, that's not what it means. It means that when you see Jesus Christ and the way he treated people and the, the compassion that he had and the way he dealt with people and the love that he had for people, when you see that, what you see is an exact representation of the heart of God. The exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. God says, here it is. Through Jesus Christ, here is the clearest picture I can give you of what I'm like. And Jesus taught us a lot about God. But the main thing that he taught us is that, G, that God is a perfect heavenly father. And you say, well, how did he teach us that? Well, first of all, he taught us that through relationship. After all, we refer to him, and he was the son of God. We do baptisms here. It's one of my favorite things. Actually, um, you guys got to see Mike Daly get baptized last week. It's so cool. When anytime that happens, that's just... It just makes my week whenever we get to do baptisms. I love them. We look forward to them here. We work hard to see that they happen. That's really what this church is about. We want people to come to Christ and be baptized. That's what we want. We want them to live their life to the glory of God. One day Jesus wanted to be baptized, not because he was a sinner and needed to be, but because he wanted to teach us what it means to have new life. He wanted to model that for us. And so he goes to John the Baptist and he says, John, I want to be baptized. And John the Baptist says, I'm not baptizing you. You need to be baptizing me. Well, they go back and forth. And it's generally the case, I'm sure, whenever you had a confrontation with Jesus, he prevailed upon John the Baptist that he would be baptized. And John said, okay. The Bible says that when he was baptized, that the heavens opened and the voice of God could be heard and what was said was, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Imagine hearing that from your father in heaven. We'll talk about this a little bit later in the series, but everybody in this building this morning wants to hear those words. This is my son. This is my daughter. I'm really proud of them. This is my son. This is my daughter. I'm, I'm just really, really pleased with you. We all want to hear that. Jesus would then begin to teach us and listen to his words. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. This then is how you should pray. So he's going to teach us how to pray. Now you would think that if Jesus is going to teach us how to pray, that's a pretty important thing. And he could say anything he wants about how to pray. I want you to pay close attention to what Jesus teaches us as to how we are to address God. Our Father. So how do you start? You start with, you know, oh, great omnipotent one. Oh, omniscient creator of the universe. No, our Father. 
in heaven. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, he says, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your who? Praise your on-star God, your doomsday God, your scorekeeper God. No, your Father in heaven. This one got him in trouble because they did not like this at all. He said, if you've seen me, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. He could have just said, if you've seen me, you've seen God. See me, see God. He could have said that. It's not what he said. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 189 times. More than he called him anything else. 189 times in the Gospels, Jesus refers to God as Father. You say, well, God's powerful and big and mighty to save and and awesome and all these things that we sing our songs about on Sunday morning, all these things when Kyle gets up and leads us in worship and we sing all these wonderful attributes of, of God's character and greatness and majesty and glorious, we sang that this morning, all these cool songs, merciful. But it's really important that you not lose sight of the fact that God has wrapped himself in the skin of a father. See, I don't know how to put my arms around omniscience. (laughs) How do you do that? I know that I went home to see my mom and dad at the end of this week. And my dad's a big man. And when I got out of the car and I approached my father, his arms went out. And my arms went out. And we hugged each other. And I put my arms around him, and he put his arms around me, and he hugged me. See, I can't hug omniscience, but I can hug a father. And so that's the image, that's the picture that God wants you to have of him. He wants you to see him as the perfect heavenly father. Jesus says, I want you to know that he is relatable, he is huggable, he is real, he is knowable. That is an amazing truth. Even in his last breath, he said, Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The relationship of a perfect heavenly father with his beloved children. What happens when we put our faith in Christ? I did a a sermon year and a half, two years ago, we talked about John 3.16. And I, I, we'll just revisit this real quickly. It won't take long. But John 3.16 is a perfect verse for you. If you ever want to share your faith with somebody, you can do it with four points out of John 3.16. I'll give them to you. God loved, God gave. We believe, we receive. It's that simple. That's the gospel in, an, in one verse of scripture Quote John 3.16. Everybody knows John 3.16. That's what John 3.16 is saying. Four things. God loved, God gave, we believe, we receive. Well, what do we receive? We receive something happens spiritually inside us when we receive Christ. We get a spiritual birth certificate. 
in our house, we are trying to find Bennett's real birth certificate. It would be great if we could find that. It would be wonderful. Having a little trouble with that. Much to his consternation and, and chagrin, he's not happy that we can't find his birth certificate. Therefore, we are not happy that we can't find his birth certificate. But it's important that you see that you got a spiritual birth certificate. You were born again. You came to spiritual life. Galatians chapter 4. I'm going to just bring you a couple of remarks from chapter 4. We'll be done. Galatians chapter 4, beginning at verse 4. But when the time had fully come, let me explain that. God has been revealing himself, and he's been revealing, but now it's time for him to fully do his thing. When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law. In other words, to buy us back from our sinful ways. And then it goes on to say, to redeem those under the law that we might, and you ask yourself, that we might what? That we might go to heaven? That, That we might be forgiven? Why did this one who was born under the law that God sent, that came to purchase us and redeem us, you know, what... What's behind it, you know, what's going on? Verse four, 4 again. When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive, and if you have a pen, you need to underline this, the full rights as sons. That's why he came. To give you and me full rights as sons we could put daughters in there, sons and daughters. He came to make us sons and daughters, to give us full rights. Sinners, <laughs> guess what? We have full rights as sons and daughters, rebels, all of us. But God sees us and he says, you are my son, you are my daughter. You, you get to be one of his kids. And you're going to have full rights, not half rights, not I hope I get in. Some of you are still thinking scorekeeper God, and you're thinking, man, I just, you know, I don't, I just, I want to have enough credits to get in. I don't even have to be called God. I mean, it's not about that. I don't have to be called son or daughter. You don't have to call me son or daughter. Just let me in. Just let me be in. And you're thinking that scorekeeper God, somehow you got to rally up the, the points, he said, no, that we might receive full rights as sons. That, that is pretty amazing to me. I told you I got to spend some time with my dad this week. It was great. I don't get to see dad an awful lot, and, and I got to take two or three days with no phones ringing, no emails, and just spend time with mom and dad. It was wonderful. I, I can honestly tell you I am proud to be the son of my father. I am proud to be his son. but I don't know how to describe to you what it feels like to be called a son of God. I make my living with words, and I don't have words to describe what it feels like to me to know that God sees me as his son with full rights. See, when I walk into the Wilson house, I can walk right up to the refrigerator. I can get what I want. I walk into dad's garage. If I need a tool, I can use the tools. I have full rights. And as the son of God, I am the son with full 
rights. I, I can't even tell you how good that makes me feel. Because you are sons, some of you say, well, what happens when you become a Christian? Here's what happens. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit comes into our souls. It's a, it's a huge thing. This is where this whole born again thing comes from. He puts his life in us. He puts the spirit of his son in our hearts. The spirit of Christ is inside me. That, that, you think about that a little bit. That ought to do something to you. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit, of who, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave but a son, and since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. See, when the spirit comes in, the spirit cries out, Abba. Now, just let me clue you in. That's not, we're not talking about the band from the 70s, okay? It's not what we're talking about. But if you ever noticed, we, I listen to Mike and Mike in the morning on ESPN Radio, and they play Abba songs when they're coming in and out of commercials sometimes. You just pay attention the next time you hear an Abba song and see if some part of you doesn't start moving. Can't explain that. I just know it happens. And it's one of those things that you look around, hope nobody else saw it, you know, like you were jamming to Abba, but it happens. Can't explain it. Don't know. Must be a God thing. Abba is this little Aramaic word. And Aramaic was a common language in Jesus' day. And even though Paul's writing in Greek when he wrote this particular passage of Scripture, he reaches back into Aramaic and he grabs this little word, this, this little word that, that doesn't quite mean daddy. It's beyond father. It's beyond dad. It's not quite daddy, but it's, it's intimate. There's, there's intimacy with this word. When I was home, I, one of the things I do whenever I go home is I, my dad has this huge garage. He, he used to have a mobile home, and so he built this, uh, not a mobile home, a motor home. And because he retired, so he was going to get a motor home. It's what you do, I guess. And so he had to have a garage for his motor home. So he built this huge motor home garage. Well, there's no motor home anymore, but there's this, still this great huge garage. So I drive my car in there and wash it and detail it and wax it and polish on it. And it's just kind of my way to escape. And so I'll sit there and polish on my car and he'll sit in a chair and he'll watch me do it. And every now and then he'll help me or he'll make a suggestion <clears throat> that I'm not doing it right. But I wish you could hear us talking back and forth. I mean, and sometimes we, we, got, into, we got into a political discussion over the weekend we're at total opposite ends of that spectrum, believe me. And, you know, he says things sometimes and I just shake my head. I'm like, I can't have been, I can't have come from him. But I did because I look just like him. But we talk very intimately. I don't say, oh, great one who helped give birth to me. Where might I find the wax mitten? <laughs> I don't talk to him like that. I didn't show, I didn't get out of my car and walk up to the back door and say, Oh, great father, it's so good to be back in your house. I don't talk to him like that. I walked into the garage and I was getting ready to wax the car and I knew that he had this, this particular kind of thing. And, and I, I said, Hey, dad, where's that? Where's that mitt that I used the last time I was here? Oh, 
oh, it's, it's over there. It's, see it hanging up over there? That's how we talk. It's intimate. It's, it's, we love each other. It's, I'm, I'm, at, I'm at ease. I'm perfectly at home when I'm with my, you know, I did, the house they live in now, I did not grow up there. But that's home. Why is that home? Because that's where dad is. I'm, I'm perfectly at ease. It's tender. It's affectionate. Hey, Dad, what do you think about this? Hey, Dad, how do you do this? Hey, Dad, what was that guy's name that, that, I mean, I don't know how many times over the last two or three days I've looked up and said, hey, Dad, intimate. Hey, Abba, can you help me figure this out? I don't quite know how to do this. He's my dad. That is the relationship that God wants you to have with him. That's what he's after when he uses this expression, Abba. He wants you to relate to him the way you would relate to a father. Now, some of you hear that and you say, Brett, that's where you just, the train just jumped the tracks. Because if you want me to relate to God the way I would relate to my father, can't do that. My father was a jerk. We'll talk about that in the weeks to come. But the relationship that God wants with you is not to be on-star God. And he does not want to be doomsday God. And he does not want to be grandpa God. He wants to be your heavenly father, your perfect heavenly father. Here's something. I may have put you to sleep this morning, and that's perfectly okay. I just ask that if you're going to sleep during my sermons that you get a really, really good one. That's all I ask. Make sure it's good. But if you're asleep, I need you to wake up just long enough to hear this because this is one of the most important things I'm going to say all morning to you. This lock into me because I want you to hear this. I say this often, but this adults, they struggle with what I'm about to say. Here's what you need to know about God. He loves you. He is crazy about you. You are the finest thing on the planet. You are the apple of his eye. He's got your picture on his refrigerator. It's in his wallet. He talks about you all the time. You, you, you know, he made monkeys and fish and all kinds of really cool, beautiful animals. And, and he's really, he thinks they're great, but when it's you, traffic stops for you as far as God's concerned. He's crazy about you. And we've got to get to a place where we begin to relate to God as our perfect heavenly father and not as scorekeeper God and not as grandpa God and not as me God. We've got to see him as our perfect heavenly father. Hey, Dad. I'm struggling. Can I talk to you? Hey, Dad, I'm scared. We talk. Hey, Dad, look what just happened. How cool is this? Our perfect Heavenly Father. You may have never responded to God, you may have never given your life to Christ. In a moment, we're going to stand and sing. You're going to have an opportunity to respond to the call of God on your life. And if you've never pledged your heart to him and said, I want to be called a son of God, you can do that this morning. You can become a daughter of God this morning. We're going to sing. And at the end of that, if you want to do that, you come forward. Or while we're singing, you come forward. We can do that. Let's pray before we do. Father, 
we, we live in a culture that invites us to view you in a lot of ways that are inaccurate. The only way you want us to see you is as, as our heavenly father. I pray, Father, that we would be able to walk out of here and really believe that you love us like that. I know even as I say that, God, there are some people who are thinking I'm trying to trick them or that I'm not telling them the truth. But Lord, at the point that we begin to relate to you as our perfect heavenly father, there will be an intimacy. There will be a desire to please you. We will live our life differently when we begin to see you as our perfect heavenly father. Help us to see how healthy it is for our spiritual life. Help us to see that you love us so much that you would not spare even your own true son, yourself, to come die on a cross for us. Man, God, we love you. We love you. We see you this morning as our perfect heavenly father, and we thank you for being such, and we now sing and praise you as such. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for visiting. We hope you've been encouraged. Please feel free to download additional sermons at clcchurch.com.